If you have your Bibles with you this morning, whoops. Go ahead and open up them, open them up to 1 Corinthians 15, um, verse 3, and just hold them there and ready. Um, I'll use that later as we get down um, when we get to that part. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3, uh, you can go ahead and open up your, your Bibles there too. Um, also, if you're like, you like taking notes and you like facts, this is one of those sermons. So if you have a pen, um, you may want to, you know, get that out and take notes. There's a, an insert form there in your bulletins if you have your um, if you have your iPads or Kindles, those are also good places to uh, take notes as well. So we're in this series we're calling The Quest. We're in our second week of it. Um, and this series is all about uh, what you believe, um, the views that you have about different aspects of life, uh, we believe will determine where you will go in life. And um, they'll also determine how you live your life as well. And uh, last week, John was up here, and, and he talked about creation. And many people have different views of, of, of the creation, right? Um, some believe in the Big Bang Theory. Some believe in, in the theory of evolution. Um, but but ch- the church, Huntsville Christian Church for sure, um, believes that within the first 12 verses all of, uh, in the Bible, all of creation can be explained. So you open up your Bible, you read the first 12 verses. We believe that all of uh, creation can be explained within that. And, and so then this week, we're talking about the Word, God's Word, also known as the Bible. And, and today, I believe that what you determine to be true about God's Word does, in fact, determine where you will go in life. And, 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 today, and today, in our present time, so many people ask so many difficult questions about the Bible. Uh, one of them is, can I trust the Bible? Um, so if, if today is your first day, you've never been to church, this is your very first day, you've never stepped foot inside a church before, um, let's, let's just kind of start from the beginning, okay? This is a Bible, okay? It's, it's not a book. It's actually a, a library of 66 different books. And these 66 different books are made up of two parts. The Old Testament, that's the first 39 books. The next 27 books we call the New Testament. It describes the life of Jesus and the people that followed after him and how the church began and got started. Those 66 books together are written over a span of 1,500 years by about 40 different authors on three different continents. It's a, it's a very wide book, and let me explain by way of that. It's a very popular book, so much so that in, in 1454, when the printing press was first invented, the first book ever printed was one of these. It's a, it's, a, it's a Bible. And every year since then, there are more Bibles printed by far than any other book. The Bible is simply a globally popular book. It's not just written in English, though. It's been translated into 1,275 different languages. To put that, like, just so you can kind of get a visual of what that looks like, if everybody read, if everyone in the world that's alive today could read, um, that means 97% of the world's population would be able to read the Bible in their primary language. But just because something is popular doesn't make it true. So we still have to ask the question, can I trust the Bible? And to answer this question, we have to add a question to that. Is the Bible, Bible trustworthy? You see, answering this, these questions, I believe, does determine how you live 
out your life. Is the Bible trustworthy and is the Bible truthful? Now, when I ask, is the Bible trustworthy, I'm really asking, can I trust that when I open up the Bible uh, and I read it and I read like a letter from Paul or I read, I read, um, I read a poem from King David, can I trust that what, that what, that what was actually written over 2,000 years ago, can I trust that it is true? The short answer is yes. Long answer, let me show you how true I believe this is. Some of the most important books ever written in the ancient world. We're going to talk about some of those books, and I'm going to kind of show you what I mean. Plato. If you've ever studied philosophy anytime, anywhere, in high school, in college, uh, maybe at the university you went to, it doesn't matter. He is like the granddaddy in, uh, of all the philosophers that ever were. He wrote, he wrote in about 350 B.C. Only seven of his books survive. Like, we have seven different manuscripts of the famous philosopher Plato. And, and the oldest one is from 895 A.D. So there's a gap between the oldest copy of Plato and when Plato actually lived. 1,200 years is the gap. But nobody ever questions Plato and the things he actually wrote. And nobody ever says, I wonder if he ever edited that or made that up. Plato is Plato. We get that. Okay. Julius Caesar, the first emperor, right? He recorded his own battles and his own memoirs. And when he did, those, those documents were so important to the Roman government because, because they, they thought he was the first emperor or the, or the, or the founder of modern Rome. Um, they protected these, his documents in great vaults. Big libraries made of stones. Uh, and that they were made these... Um, the, the libraries were, guard, were guarded. Uh, they had scribes that were, would reproduce the writings of Julius Caesar. Do you know how many survived? With all the power of Rome, only 10 copies of Julius Caesar survived. The oldest one from 950 A.D. So again, a gap of 1,000 years between the oldest manuscript and Julius Caesar himself. Tacitus. He wrote about 30 books, and only about five survived. He is arguably the most important historian in Rome. If you've, if you've ever studied anything about the history of Rome, like even in junior high school, um, I'll bet you you've read something that, that, he, um, that he wrote. But we only have a fraction of his works. Part of a fraction is in one document, and documents are dated from 850 AD, a gap of 733 years. So what about the Bible? If I was a historian and not the associate minister here at Huntsville Christian Church, and, and I wanted to prove that the Bible was trust, trustworthy, I would be delighted if I could have 12 documents of the New Testament, but we have more than that. It, if I had 100 documents of the New Testament and I taught at a university, I might go over to um, like the Latin or African studies department and kind of like make fun of them and say, hey, I've got like 100 documents here. Mine are way better than yours by far. We don't have 100 documents, though. We have 5,700 copies of the New Testament or part of the New Testament. That's amazing to me. 
If you compare the manuscript Bible to any other ancient book, it's not a fair fight. It's like having your first grader's little league team, like his t-ball team, play the New York Yankees in a, in a baseball game. It's, it's, it's not a fair fight. And the Bible, it's not just wide. It's also deep. We have 5,700 manuscripts. You know how deep it goes? Our oldest manuscript is from 135 A.D. You know how um, John finished his writings in 95 A.D. That means there was a gap of nearly 40 years between the oldest copy of John and when John lived. This is not a copy of a copy of a copy. This is like a copy, like the real deal. So when we ask the question, is the, is the Bible faithfully preserved? Without a doubt, yes. And this brings up another question. Is the Bible accurately copied? I want to show you a document. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Um, it, this document is from 135 A.D. It's called P66. That's how they labeled it. It's awesome. Like, if I were to take P66 and lay it on the table and next to it lay all the other 5,700 copies of, of other documents, and, and by the way, you can find this document still. It, it actually is in, you can find a copy in, in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, there's, a mu- there's a museum there. Um, the British Museum of London has a bunch of them there. The Vatican, uh, Jerusalem uh, Museum has several copies. They're all over the world. And you can identify them for yourselves, not just on a table and, and laying them out for yourselves, um, but like you can go on your computer and compare the different documents if you want to do the research. Um, so, so these are easily accessible, not, when, not like I wish I could see them and access them. This is a real document that we have in our hands. So if I laid it on, on the table, would this document be the same as all others? Is it accurately copied? Well, no. There are, if you counted all the variations in all the documents, somewhere around 200,000 differences. If you ever count those variations or, or differences, you might actually distrust the Bible. And so many skeptics come in and say, say there are so many differences, there's so many errors in the Bible. And I would say, let's, let's not count them, but let's weigh them. Have you ever sent a text message to somebody and then read it later and you're like, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that, or, or, but, but you kind of figured it out. You knew what they meant, right? Have you ever written down um, someone's phone number and you got it later and there was like eight numbers because you copied one number twice and, you're, um, and, you're, and you still ended up calling them though, right? Is, is anyone here a bad speller? Like this week, we just got, um, this week ESPN was showing like the National Spelling Bee. They showed this one kid who got up there like several years ago, and he like, he, the, the person giving the word gave him the word, and the kid passed out while they were talking. He actually stood up like 10 seconds later and spelled the word correctly. <laughs> and he went to go see that guy two years ago, bring on the next word, and he's like, this is it. Like, are you, are you the, I, I'm not saying I'm a bad speller or like, you know, not all of us are spellers and should be in school. But, but, I mean, are you guys bad spellers? Sometimes we just misspell a word. Like, sometimes we accidentally misspell, spell words and we, but we, you know, sometimes I misspell Christmas and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to spell that. Like, we're not all smart, right? We're not all smart. There are, <laughs> we're all smart enough to know it better, to pick out an error and know what somebody meant to 
say it. Right. According to to the great scholar SF Bruce, he says this: if if you just took off the t- took off the table the spelling errors, a word that was left out, a sentence that is repeated, the accuracy of the Bible that you hold in your hand right now is ninety nine point five percent. Yes, it was copied accurately. Can I be positive that when I'm reading the words, that that it is what the really what the Apostle Paul wrote? I would even raise it a half percent, a hundred percent. I can guarantee what you're reading, the exact message, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote. I mean, the differences are like this. One will say, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the other one will say, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I mean, that's that's the kind of differences I'm talking about. You're not going to find a... Every time. Is it true? See, I get a book. I'm a pastor at an ancient church. And remember, we could be persecuted for having this book. I want to make sure it's true. So I compare the book to other books that that are in the Bible already. and and, And I ask the question, does this say the same thing? If it doesn't, it's out. Second question I'm going to ask, is it accurate? It could be an interesting book, but if it has historical inaccuracies, like it talks about people who didn't exist or, people, or places that don't exist or, or places that you can't go, it's out. Because we're not going to die for something that is a lie. 
Third question I'm going to ask as a leader, is this authentic? Here's what I mean. A book comes across my desk. I want to know who wrote it and where it comes from. If it comes from a person that was an associate with the apostles, the prophets, with the elders or the church, it's likely to be read from the pulpit. If it doesn't, I'm not going to risk it. Meanwhile, the people who are are hearing me or hearing the message, as these books are read, they're asking a question too. Is it inspiring? Does this book cause me to change my life? Does the book cause me to change my life? Does it cause me to live better? Does it challenge me to treat my wife better? To to change my community for the good? If not, it's out. They're not going to allow it in the church. And they and they not only want to ask, not only is this is this inspiring to me, but is it inspiring us as church? Does it meet the needs of the church? Church, I know that there are people that will tell you the church just collected these books because this is what they said they wanted, wanted it to be. That's not even close to the truth. The leaders as well as the followers of the ancient church prized these books and protected these books to make sure they were going, to, to make sure that they weren't going to die for their faith. They, they wanted to make sure they weren't going to die for a lie. So is the Bible trustworthy? Absolutely. But just because the book of the library is trustworthy doesn't mean it's telling the truth. So another question I want to ask is, is it truthful? Because if I have an ancient document, and it really goes back to the, to the apostles and the prophets, uh, if I have an ancient document that is full of, of hogwash, then what does it do for me? I can't... I can't just say that, that you have to follow my opinion, right? I, I, don't, I don't want to convince you of anything. I, 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 me, myself, I'm totally convinced that the Bible is truthful. But I'm going to tell you why you, you, you can make up this for your own mind. The Bible is truthful, and here's why. I'm going to give you a few reasons. Number one, the witnesses saw the apostles. This is not a which is likely five years after the death of Jesus. How old is this tradition? Let's read on to the next verse. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Who's Cephas? Who's this Cephas guy? Cephas is actually Peter the Apostle. The tradition that was handed down to him, and the word Cephas, not Peter, Peter was actually his nickname. His real name in Aramaic is, is Cephas, but nobody called him that, right? Uh, not until after the church really got going. This was a name that was from his mother and his father. Um, his fishing buddies probably at one time called him Cephas as well. Uh, this tradition that Paul received goes all the way back at least 20 years to the time when Cephas was still a leader that, 
in, to a time when he was a leader in a church that knew him by his old name. Verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 55 A.D., Jesus appeared. So, so 25 years later, a bunch of these brothers are still alive, and some have fallen asleep. In other words, they're dead, right? They've died. The point is, though, that when Paul is preaching, writing these letters, spreading the gospel around the Mediterranean world, there are a lot of these original witnesses, right? Uh, they, they were there in the audience. So if Paul started saying, this is some fairy tale about Jesus, and Jesus did that and this, and, and it wasn't true, somebody's going to raise their hand, probably somebody with a lot of clout, and they're going to say, it didn't happen like that. Dude, I was there. It, it didn't happen that way. The presence of eyewitnesses kept preachers honest in the ancient Jewish, in the ancient church. And not only, do these not only do we have these eyewitnesses, we have eyewitnesses and facts. The scripture we just read said there were 12. These guys died for their testimony. 11 of the 12 died as martyrs for their faith. I don't know how many people who, who would die for, for a lie. And I don't know how many groups. Maybe like one crazy guy in one group somewhere might be crazy enough to die, right? But, but not like a whole group of people. Do I think they're telling the truth for what they died for as a martyr? Absolutely, I do. Here's another reason why I believe the Bible is truthful. The witnesses are corroborated by one another's sources. Particularly true in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've probably heard someone somewhere out there say the Gospels contradict each other. I'm here to tell you they do not. You'll hear arguments like Matthew says there was two angels at the tomb where Jesus, um, of Jesus. And Mark says there was only one. What if there were two angels and only one of them spoke? Wouldn't it be appropriate for Mark to talk and, and the one that spoke and, and Matthew to say that there was two? You know, there's, we have a couple lawyers in our congregation, right? Uh, you know that if, if you went into, the court, into a court of law and you had four witnesses stand up and tell the exact same wording when the others weren't in the room with them, you would somehow think they came up with a lie if they were worded exactly the same. Any police officer would know that if you had four witnesses to some kind of crime and you asked these four different witnesses what happened, I promise you, you would get four different accounts of what really happened. Now, they're not going to be contradictory to each other, but they will be quite different in their perspective. If you're, if you're a mother of a junior high school student, you, you know this one. One of the kids broke the lamp. One of the kids broke the window, right? They're going to have different perspectives of how they tell the story of what really happened. The same kinds of variations on life are the same kinds of variations we noticed in the Gospels, right? Because they are eyewitness testimonies of what they saw and what they experienced. But it's not just the ancient eyewitnesses we have. We have, um, we have, the, we have this confirmed by, by archaeology, too. The world-renowned archaeologist named Donald Whitman, he says this about analogical evidence of the Bible. He says this, The geography of the Bible lands invisibly lands by antiquity were gradually recorded until today. More than 25,000 sites within the region and then dating to the Old Testament times have, have been located. That is awesome. 
This is not once upon a time stuff. It's more like the days of Caesar of Augustus, right? So if the evidence for the Bible is so overwhelmingly true, why do so many people have so many objections? I can't prove this, but my suspicion is that most of the objections have nothing to do with science or the manuscript evidence. There's, there's nothing deficient about the Bible. There's just something demanding about it. If you read Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar doesn't ask you to change your life. If you read Tacitus, he tells you what happened, but he doesn't tell you what to do. You read Plato, he will challenge you how to think, but he'll never challenge you to change your heart. You open up the pages of the Bible, it's a different story. From page one to Revelation, it's challenging you. It's invasive to your family. When it tells you to live in faithfulness to your spouse and how to raise your children, it, it, it goes to work with you. It, it, it tells you how to be eth- an ethical businessman or an ethical businesswoman, to be faithful, to be kind and loving as a teacher or a police officer or a servant or a servant hearted in service industries. The Bible keeps pushing us to live differently. And I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's where the greatest objection comes to when it comes to the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, you have two choices. If you, if you don't believe it, you refuse to obey it, you have two choices. You can either demolish it or you can ignore it. And so there have been plenty of people that have tried to demolish it, right? But the truth is most people just ignore it. Here's my real concern about the, me- the message, that, that you walk out of here saying, Andy, man, that was great. You, man, you proved that the Bible was real, but you don't, you don't trust it. it. It's not about your head or even about your heart feeling good about the book. It's about your hands. It's about your feet. Will you do anything differently? Because you trust this book, do you trust and obey? Or are you going to demolish it or disregard it altogether? As I was writing this message this week, doing some some research, I ran across a a stat that I was a little disturbed about. It comes from the 2013 Society of Biblical Literature Research on People's View of the Bible. It says that almost all adults are interested in, in how to deal with conflict. All adults are interested in it. Mosaics, it it, kind of points them down. Mosaics, which are 18 to 28-year-olds, are almost twice as much interested in what the Bible says about conflicts. Almost twice as much interested in what the Bible says about parenting and dating and relationships. Here's the problem from what I know about Mosaics, is that they read their Bibles less than their parents so you ask a, a mosaic, someone who falls into that, that age group, hey, do you want to know about ancient wisdom and the aspects of, li- of your life? And they say, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Tell me about it. What does it say? And you tell them and you inform them what it says, and they walk away anyway and do what they were going to do, doing what they were going to do anyway. Our goal for you as, as ministers of Huntsville Christian Church, our goal is to develop a bib- biblical worldview. It means that the Bible, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes a filter in which you make decisions. 
It is the lens in which you see the world and make decisions about how to parent, about how to, how to do business, about, about how to be married, how to, how to take care of your finances, how to, how to have dating relationships. The Bible speaks to all these aspects of all our life, and all we're asking you to do is obey it. See, you ask me, can, can, can I trust in the Bible? And now I ask you, do you trust in the Bible? Trusting the Bible that is developing a, a biblical worldview usually takes a decade. What, what can you do this week that would make a difference? My challenge you to this week, pick up the book of James. It's five chapters. It'll take you like 20 minutes to read all the chapters. I want you to go through them, read them, circle some verses, and you only get to take away one for this week. And I want you to find one verse in all the book of James that, that you will attempt to obey for just one day. It's more challenging than you think. When it says in, in chapter 3, no one can tame the tongue. That's challenging for some of you. When it says in chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Try and humble yourselves. Try in chapter 2 not to be um, prejudiced or treat others in, in more regards than others. of whether the Bible is, is in fact the word of God. Ultimately, the Bible has its own lion's roar. It will speak for itself. If you'll just open it up and give it a listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we are so thankful for the overwhelmingly evidence that you have given us here on earth about the true authenticity.